happy Thanksgiving to you guys. It is amazing to be here this morning. I missed last week. I'm sorry about that. But uh, man, today we're talking about Thanksgiving and I'm thankful for you. Let me tell you one of the reasons why I'm thankful for you guys as a church. One of the things I thought about these last 10 days, two weeks, as I was kind of hanging out by myself, um, thinking about you guys was that I'm really thankful for your world view. Now, We've been working on this for five years together. It's really important. I believe Jesus continues to go back to this subject or this topic um, over and over again. But I had somebody ask me a couple weeks ago, Rick, what's your worldview? And I feel like the, the answer to that question is one of the most important answers that we could possibly give to reveal our heart, to reveal what's important. And I believe the secret to a biblical worldview, to your worldview, to my worldview. And it's very different than the world around us, very different than even some of the church communities if we're not careful. And that is that we are not the center of the world, that we're not the center and everyone else is a supporting character, that we're not most important. And the way to find significance in life, the way to find meaning, the way to find happiness is to give ourselves away. Jesus came and demonstrated that so well as he began his ministry. His disciples, when they began to follow Jesus, they followed him with assumptions. They followed him thinking they were going to get some stuff, thinking that they were going to have some political clout, some social credibility, that they were going to be able to, to roll around with Jesus and hit every party and everyone would think that they were. And Jesus was like, look, guys, you're missing the point. And I go, we don't get it. What do you mean? You're Jesus. You're God. You're the Savior. You're, and, and we're going to hang out with you. We're going to be your besties. Everybody's going to like us. And Jesus is, no, no, no. It's a different kind of program. Look, I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to show you. First thing you did with them, took them to a wedding. They're like, all right, wedding, that's pretty cool. We'll go in with Jesus. He'll grab the stage. He'll take the microphone, say a few really witty words, drop the mic. We'll leave. Everybody will wish we were still there. And Jesus showed them right off the bat that life wasn't really about them, that it was about others. He stayed for seven days, for a week at a wedding, the very first miracle that he did, a couple that nobody knew about in a little town outside a little town that nobody cared about. And I think it was as important for his disciples as it was this bride and groom as it is for us to read that he chose to do his first miracle, showing the world that the only way to happiness is to be others focused. He ended his ministry on his way into Jerusalem. Again, his disciples, like you and me, not real fast and quick on the uptake, kind of having a hard time understanding what's going on as they were dragging Jesus into Jerusalem saying, here, now finally we're gonna cash in. We're gonna find our bank accounts. We're gonna get our big cars. We're gonna be our, have our spot here, you know, right next to your throne and everyone's gonna, gonna worship us and think that we're, all that, and, and they're, they're pulling Jesus into Jerusalem. And they hear this voice that's calling out, saying, have mercy, have pity, master, master, help. Now the disciples, they look over and they see this guy who's, a, a, who's blind and he's begging, he's in the, in the dirt. And they say, get out of here, stop. You cannot interrupt Jesus at this important moment. And Jesus reminding them that the worldview, his worldview, the kingdom worldview is different. He stops the crowd as the whole crowd was pulling him toward Jerusalem, walks back and kneels down, touches, speaks to this man, heals this man. And he says, guys, it's not all about you. 
And as he called them in time and time again, his conversations with them would have certainly involved, who do you trust to build your life? If it's all about you, then you're going to build your life. You're going to build your kingdom. You're going to do it your way. But if you allow it to be about me, I'll build your life in a way that'll blow your mind. You choose. Now, that decision is the most important decision that you and I can make. What's our life going to be about? Who do we trust to build our lives? Because a person who trusts Jesus to build their life, who chooses to live for others, for the kingdom, can truly be thankful. A person who chooses to build their own life can only thank God for the blessings, the things they like, the compliments that God gives them and can become entitled and demanding and scary, scary in the lack of faith at the drop of a hat. Because if we're trusting ourselves, our worldview's wrong. But if we're thankful and Jesus is at the center, man, we find the reason that we're created. We're talking about Thanksgiving today. We're gonna be talking about a story that you've probably heard before. I know you've heard it if we've been together for five years because I've mentioned it to you before. And do you know one of the most arrogant things that I can do or you can do as a, as a Christian, if you're a believer, a follower of Christ, is to hear a story and say, oh, I know that story. I got the answers, right? Oh, I know that story. I've heard that story before. Now, it's good to hear the stories before, but it's great to apply these stories and to have the stories applied over and over again. And this is a story that you've heard before, many of you, but applied in a way that maybe is a little different than we've applied it. And I think it's really important in this Thanksgiving season, as I continue to challenge you and myself, our church staff, to build a church and a life that's others focused. It's not about me, not about you, but it's about Jesus. Now, you guys know that I tested positive for COVID a couple weeks ago. It's a weird thing, right? I mean, I, I was gonna ask you guys how many of you in here at some point have tested positive. You don't have to raise your hand, I know that's personal for some people, but I would suspect more than half of us in here have tested positive for COVID. It's, a, it's kind of a weird sort of a thing. I got vaccinated. You know, some of you do, some of you don't. That's personal choice. I got vaccinated back in April. It didn't seem to make that much difference as to me getting it, but it didn't get that serious for me, thankfully. Uh, but last Monday, two weeks ago tomorrow, I got some cold-like symptoms. You know, you've heard the story. Everybody, they tell the same kind of a story. And then I woke up on Tuesday and I'm like, man, I don't feel very good. And um, I thought, ah, it's, probably, it's no big deal. Um, you know, probably just a little seasonal crud because after all, who doesn't have the crud? I mean, Pastor Dan and I have talked together. We thought we've had COVID like 14 times because every time we sneeze, it's like everybody goes, COVID, right? Um, and um, Thursday, I'd had no sense of taste and no sense of smell and Joy handed me some food and I was eating it going, man, this is really bad. I mean, this is like, everything tastes like rice. And I'm thinking before I criticized my wife, you know, it didn't occur to me that maybe I had no taste buds and I finally realized, anyway, you know the story. So I was very fortunate um, because the symptoms weren't, were pretty mild, fever, you know, aches, and, and um, you know, been negative for, I don't know, five days now and feel good. But um, two days after, after I uh, tested negative, I'm out back into society because it's weird to have to be quarantined for 10 days, isn't it? Those of you who know what I'm talking about, you know. Nobody wants to be around you. And um, you may as well have a sign around your neck that says unclean, right? Don't come, don't come near me. 
I mean, it's like the UPS person and the Amazon guy, you know. I mean, that's, that's like the closest physical contact that you have when you're quarantined, and that's through a door. And if they knew, they'd probably just chuck the packages from the street. And, you know, you think about it and you think, well, if it gets worse, that would be bad, you know, because then you go to the hospital and you see those pictures. Some of you have been in the hospital with COVID. You see the pictures of, of the bubble suit they put you in and they take you into isolation and all the, the hospital personnel have all this gear on and the goggles and they put the pictures on, you know, on their chest so you know that it's a human talking to you. And thinking, man, how bad would it be to, to have, you know, to be treated in, in that, you know, how alone could you possibly be? It's like two days later, I'm back in society and I'm shopping and I'm checking out at this, at this store. And I didn't really cough the whole time I had COVID. Now, you guys know if somebody in here coughs, everyone around you is going to freak out, right? I mean, you, you know that. If you cough, it doesn't matter if you <coughs> into your arm, they're still freaking out. If you sneeze, I mean, good gracious, it's like you get the death stare, people. I mean, that's just the way our society is. So I'm checking out and um, I started coughing. And, and I'm very conscious, right? I mean, I've been negative for two days, no fever. No, I can't give anybody anything. But what do people, they get, get nervous when you start coughing, right? And I'm like, <laughs> and then I turn around, <laughs> you know, I'm trying not to cough. And the more you think about not coughing, the more you cough, right? And, um, and so the guy's joking with me. And what do you think he says? He's like, ah, oh, you got COVID. And I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> did, did, did Dr. Fauci tag me? What happened? You know, when I went in, I didn't know. How did you know? I felt real weird about it. You know, of course I don't have COVID. That was yesterday. You know, what do you say? What do you say to, to people? And it felt a little weird. Now think about if you felt that way your whole life. Think about if you were assigned a death sentence because of the existence of original sin and the fact that sickness entered the world. Some people get sick and some people don't. That you were, for whatever reason, stricken with a disease that caused you to live in a quarantined community around other people who had a death sentence, knowing that barring some miracle that people whisper about that no one's ever really seen, that you had to look forward to the rest of your short life watching the people you've grown to care about decay right in front of your eyes and pass away until you ultimately ended up doing the same thing. That you had a disease that caused you to be kicked out of your town, out of your house, out of your family, and to unite with another group of people, and the only thing they had in common was that they had the same disease. My pastor growing up said that there are two things that unite all of humanity, and that's sin and suffering. And these were communities that were united around sin and around suffering. Not their sin, sin. That's what causes sickness. But imagine yourself quarantined in a community that had physical ramifications that were serious and fatal, but also had some social ramifications that were just nasty. Some religious consequences, unspeakably unkind. Where people who, when they saw you sick, said either you deserved it or your parents did because nobody gets sick unless they got it coming. 
Spoken like a well person, right? Like an arrogant well person. Spoken like somebody who not only is insensitive, but somebody who's extremely ungrateful. A religious system who labeled these people as unclean, as outcasts, and would throw rocks at them if they came within rock-throwing distance. Imagine yourself waking up with a skin condition that caused all of these things to happen and knowing that one day your life was one way and the next day it's never going to be the same. Well, that's the story that we're going to talk about today, the first of two, and it's a story about 10 people who Jesus encountered. Now, Jesus came back to this theme over and over again. Life is about other people. The only way to find happiness is to give yourself away. Trust me to build your life. And if you trust me to build your life, then, well, I'll show you here in Scripture. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. Hansen's disease, leprosy, skin conditions caused them to lose feeling in their senses. Ultimately, their appendages would fall off. They would usually end up having some kind of infection or disease that was a consequence. They died. It was a terrible, tragic death. There were 10 men who were condemned. They stood at a distance because they had to. They called out in a loud voice. Now, Luke uses this word here. He uses the word master. It's unique. It's used here in a unique sort of a way. It means a group of people who weren't believers, who didn't really have a saving relationship with Jesus, but had no other hope. And so they were calling out saying, if anybody can help us, you can. That's a good start, isn't it? They called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. When Jesus saw them, and by the way, Jesus wasn't alone. He had his friends with him. He had his disciples and almost always other people. When he saw them, he said, go show yourself to the priests. Now, we've talked about this story before, two times, you and I. The priests were the health inspectors. I'm glad I'm not. You're glad I'm not. That's the way it was. The priest had to inspect you, look you up and down. No more white spots. Okay, you were healed. Took eight days. Sometimes if they weren't sure, they could make it take another eight days. It was a long, involved process. But the point is this. And this is why we're going to cover this or talk about this this morning. The point is that as they went, they were cleansed. They were healed. Now, when Jesus does a miracle, he does it completely. He does it instantly. I mean, he healed them. I want emojis in the Bible. I want a translation of the Bible. If any of you out there, are in, I don't know if anybody wants to do that or not. Put emojis in the Bible. I want more punctuation in the Bible. When my wife sends me a text message, I know how geared up, how fired up, how emotional, how passionate she is by how many explanation, exclamation points she uses. How many smiley faces or slanty faces or half smiley faces or, you know, by the way, this is not praying hands. You know, that's a high five, right? That emoji. People are like, hey, pray for my friend. High five. It's really weird for me to see that. That's just a little fun fact you can take to yourself next time you send a text message. In this particular instant, I want exclamation points. I want an earthquake. 
I want something loud. The Bible understated, just very simply says, as they went, they were cleansed. Who cleansed them? Jesus. Why? Because he chose to. God the Father gave the okay. The Holy Spirit provided the power. Jesus healed these men. Just like they found themselves diagnosed, one day healthy, the next day sick. They found themselves healed and cleansed. One day sick, the next instant healthy. Now the plot thickens and twists as we continue in our story. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, he came back praising God in a loud voice. Loud voice is interesting because they had no voice. The leprosy attacked the vocal cords and lepers were known even before they were seen by their raspy voice. He came back, the first thing he did was he praised God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet in worship. And the third thing he did is he thanked him. Now, interesting, the Bible says this guy's a Samaritan. Now, we've talked about the difference between Jews and Samaritans. I don't want to go into all of that right now. But I just want to point out something. In this entire story, this is the fact. This is the snippet that Jesus wanted us to focus on. He says, we're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Has no one else said thank you? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith made you well. Now, here, here's the point. He says, rise and go because you understand. Rise and go because you're not like the other nine. I think oftentimes we live our life like the other nine. Were they thankful? Oh, I bet they were. Thank you, God, for giving me health. I can go back to my family, back to my life, back to my city, back to my business, back to my bank account, back to my vehicle, back to my friend. I can go back to me. And Jesus says to this one, you get it. Because freedom in life comes from not going back to you, but turning to me and showing me that you're thankful. His worldview changed that day, and he found salvation. Now, I want to show you another story. They're not connected as far as, as, as chronology. I mean, they happened at a similar time, but they're certainly connected as far as theme. And this idea of thank you was really important to Jesus, but Jesus was all about the show me, not about the tell me. I'm convinced that there are many people who say, thank you, God, thank you, God, but still ultimately don't have a saving relationship with Jesus. Thank you, God, for my family. Thank you for my money. Thank you for my health. Thank you for my friends. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But the second things don't go well, well, it's different. Jesus was all about the show me. If you love me, show me. If you love me, follow me. Since you love me, thank me. Mary and Martha, Pastor Dan talked to you about this great story a few weeks ago. Mary and Martha, two of Jesus' best friends, knowing that Jesus had hinted about the fact that his time on earth was coming to a conclusion. And they wanted to take advantage of the moments they had left. How many moments in life, looking back, do you wish you'd taken advantage of? because you didn't realize that the moments that you had weren't gonna be there forever. People, times, 
opportunities. Seasons come and seasons go. They knew, praise God. They knew that they had some time with Jesus, but they knew that it wasn't going to be forever. And so they intentionally demonstrated what I consider to be the quintessential heart of thanksgiving. Six days before Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany. Now, Bethany is where Lazarus was because Jesus had raised him from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. There was one guy there, one of Jesus' disciples who ended up being a henchman, Judas, who said, hey, don't get carried away. Don't let this worship thing get out of control. Don't let it affect your whole life. Whoa, whoa, hold some back for you. But Jesus said, no, these women, they get it. And I'm gonna explain to you as we conclude our time together the four ways they got it and the four ways that you and I should get it as well. Now, my wife loves Christmas, joy. As a matter of fact, we've been having this discussion in our home. Is it time to decorate for Christmas before Thanksgiving? Um, I'm just going to go ahead and divide our church. I'm going to do it. How many of you believe convictionally that decorating for Christmas is okay to do before Thanksgiving? Raise your hands if you're one. You decorate like in July, I think. Yeah. Kathy Logan, yeah, on our staff team, yeah, she, I know she decorates in July. I don't know, Kelly, you just need to leave it up all year round. How many of you believe that after Thanksgiving is the appropriate God-ordained way to, yeah, okay, yeah. You can tell which side I lean on. I'm the after Thanksgiving kind of a, kind of a person. My wife would be along with Kathy Logan where she would like to decorate in July. So there are... Um, Subtle ways my wife gets my attention and not so subtle ways. We've been married a long time and um, oftentimes she doesn't choose the subtle ways anymore. We, uh, driving through our neighborhood, um, Joy will point out, starting about six weeks ago, oh look, such and such got their Christmas lights up. Say, yes, Joy, that's a very interesting fun fact. I'll make a note of that in my iPhone so that I can remember that next year. That falls into the why do I need to know that kind of a category, right? Why do I need to know that? The next time we were driving home. Oh, look, there are two more people in our neighborhood who have Christmas lights that are up. This happens like a week. And I said, look, I get it. I know what you're doing. Your psychological tricks don't work on me. Now, the thing you don't know is that I don't put Christmas lights up that I'm scared of heights. I don't like them. I'm not really scared of being up there. I'm just scared of falling off. And I got a roof that I'm not real happy about getting up on. And my wife married somebody with a disability and she should have asked better questions 30 years ago <laughs> if it was gonna be that big of a deal. Can you imagine going through premarital counseling and the list of things that the counselor asks? Um, are you scared of heights? Yes or no? Will you put Christmas lights up in August? Yes or no? I would have answered no or yes. All those, it would have cleared things up a long time ago. But she was just making sure that it was in my 
awareness, my sphere of concentration, thoughts, that I knew that something important was going on. She wanted to make sure that I was clued in. Now, thankfully, Tom, one of our friends here from church, he texted me and he's like, okay, you're scared of heights, right? And I said, yep, Tom, just like last year, still scared of heights. He goes, hey, your son, Richard, he can't come into town. Uh, I know he's got a baby on the way. So you want me to come by and put your Christmas lights up? And I'm like, thank you, Tom, right? Because it solved the whole marriage thing that we had going on. But my wife, her point wasn't to humiliate me. Her point was to make sure I was thinking about it. She just wanted to make sure. And sometimes when I think about you guys, when Pastor Dan and I, Jared and Brandon, we talk to each other about our own walk with the Lord, when we talk about you guys, and we do, and we don't talk about you because we don't like you, we talk about you because we love you, and we want you living lives of thanksgiving more than anything else in the whole world. Sometimes we just start off by, do you think they're thinking about it? Do you think they're thinking about it? Do you think they're aware? Has it become part of their conscience? Is it part of their consciousness? Well, what do you mean it? The fact that the only thing that we really are supposed to build is the kingdom of God. And that unless Jesus builds our life, we're missing the point and can never be truly thankful. Do you think they're thinking about it? Now, Mary and Martha, they were thinking about it. How do we know? Because they invited Jesus to come over to their home. They did four things that are really important, but they showed that it was part of their worldview. I would argue that it was the center of their worldview and so as we look at you guys in our church, as we gauge the metric, the matrix, right, the gauging, the, the governing sort of a, of, of a grid, when we look at our progress spiritually, that's the first thing we do. Are we thinking about it? I think we are. I think you guys have developed a God consciousness. And I'm proud of it. I love it. And God's blessings lie right around the corner. Now, thinking about it and being conscious about it's not enough. Having it part of your, that's good. A lot of people think about it and say, yep, should, probably would, can't, not this guy. Mary and Martha took this a step forward, even further. Instead of just, I'm interested, they went to the, I'm involved. Now, the I'm involved here using their calendar, and as a pastor, I, I have to remember lots of stuff in my brain it just isn't that big. And so I use C's, I alliterate things and I have acronyms and all that. So I have C's up here to help me remember stuff. You don't have to remember the C's. But this is the next level, the second of four levels of a thankful life. Demonstrated by this one leper who returned, but really illustrated in the story of Mary and Martha. And that is that they gave Jesus something that's really hard to give. They gave him some time. They put pause, pushed the pause button in the movie of their lives, which proves if we're willing to push pause in the movie of our lives and to step aside and say, I'm no longer the star Jesus is, Man, it proves we're thankful. 
But how hard is it to push pause in our life? I'm busy building my life, Jesus. I'm thankful. Thanks for all the blessings. But I'm going to take off to the priest and get this healing thing done so that I can go back and get mine. It's next level Thanksgiving when we make a habit of pushing pause in our life to show Jesus how thankful we are, even in something as simple as this. Now, the third thing that I see them doing, not just they're interested and not just were they involved with their time, is they made an investment. I think this is really important because we give in a couple of ways. And Mary and Martha demonstrated each of these ways. We give our resources because it's very possible for us to give without loving. That's possible. But it's impossible for us to, live, to love, excuse me, without, without giving. Can I say that again? It's possible for us to give to something without loving it. We give out of obligation. We give because we want to look good. We give because we need a tax write-off. We can give. We give because we're guilty. We want to appease our conscience. But it's impossible for us to love someone or something without giving. And so a thankful heart is a giving heart, period. It's impossible for it to be any other way. And we see one of these ladies who's giving financially and one of these ladies who's giving financially by hosting a dinner party, but also giving with her gifts, with her energy, with the things that God has made her good at. And that's an important part of Thanksgiving. And it's number three in this short list of four. So I want to take you to the final. It's a checklist. It's a gauge. It's the way that I know whether or not we are progressing as a church family. Whether or not I'm progressing as a, as a Christian, as a Christ follower, as a pastor, whether Pastor Dan is progressing, whether Brandon and Jared and Ashley and Danielle and Kathy and Jenny and all of our church staff are progressing. And that is, am I using my influence? Am I using my influence for Jesus? Now, using our influence is, is tough. Now, you're, what about Mary and Martha? What do you mean using their influence or their connections? Well, they hosted a dinner party, and they didn't host the party just for themselves. Now, here's my tendency. I'm going to tell Jesus, thank you, but it's about me and Jesus. He did some things for me. I appreciate it. He healed my brothers. I'm going to let him come. No one else is coming. All you guys are going to ask dumb questions. You're going to take up too much time. You're going to eat too much food. I'm going to have it my house, my friends, my way. I'm going to use what I want. And, and I would have a different sort of a party, I'm afraid. Mary and Martha hosted a dinner party and invited their friends to come and meet Jesus. Why? Because having their friends meet Jesus was the most important thing to them. So they showed it by using their influence for the kingdom. What are you using your influence for? I have two friends I had conversations with this week, unrelated 
They have no idea that the two conversations were similar. I, of course, didn't share details from one to the other because I wouldn't do that to you guys. Two different families, two different locations, almost exact conversation. Rick, God put me in a neighborhood that there are a lot of people who don't know Jesus. I'm like, yeah, that's pretty cool. He probably did that on purpose. That's what I say because I believe that's what God does for us, right? And um, almost the same conversation. I really like them, my neighbors. I'm like, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? That even though they don't know Jesus, they can still be really nice people. Sometimes non-Christians are a whole lot more Christ-like than Christians are. They just don't know Jesus yet. I'm going to figure that one out. I don't really want to brag about trying to lead them to Jesus. I don't really want to, you know, I just want them to know Jesus because I know Jesus. And I know that without knowing Jesus, that life doesn't make sense. So I'm leaning in at this point and I'm going, what are you going to do? They said, well, I'm just going to be friends with them and I'm going to love them. And I'm going to tell them who Jesus is because he's important to me. And I'm going to pray that one day they make the decision to follow him just like I did. And that was the best couple of conversations that I've had in a long, long time. But it's hard to use our influence for Jesus. It's a whole lot easier to send our influence other places, which is important and good. But when I tell my neighbor about Jesus, my neighbor sees me every single day. And if my actions don't back up my words, they want nothing to do with my Savior. As simple as inviting somebody to church, which you guys do a great job of. But what's that mean? Well, it means I got to come to church. And some Sundays I don't want to come to church, so I better not invite. I mean, I know how easy it is to fall into that trap. I get it. But the highest level of Thanksgiving living is using your influence to build God's kingdom, not yours. Who do you trust to build your life? How are we showing Jesus that we're thankful? Well, I've been convicted this week as I have thought about this idea of thanksgiving, but reminded that Jesus was much more concerned about my worldview and that he came to change everything about me, about you, and about our world. And this Thanksgiving season, I want to challenge you to do two things. One is, I want you to evaluate your own heart, and I want you to ask yourself, am I grateful? Do I say thank you? Because a person who doesn't say thank you generally is not very thankful or grateful. And oftentimes it reveals an egotistical, self-centered kind of a worldview that has to be exposed, at least to yourself and to the Lord. It reveals entitlement. Well, I did this. I deserve this. I got this. And I'm not going to say thank you. And I just want to ask you something. Are you willing to go back to yesterday to a week ago, to a month ago, to six months ago, to 10 years ago, to 30 years ago, are you willing this week to go back and to say thank you to the people who allowed you to go forward? 
I'm interested in this question. So interested that we put it in a poll on our app. And I want to know if you're willing to do that. There are people in your life who allowed you to go forward. Maybe the person who introduced you to Jesus in the first place. Maybe a person who offered you a business opportunity. Maybe a person who chose to say, I do, when you asked them to marry you. An opportunity, a circumstance you would not have had unless God ordained a meeting. Are you willing to go back? Are you willing to say thank you? Now, I think this sets the foundation, the tone, for a heart that's soft before the Lord and prepares the way for us to live this life of gratitude where I don't just rattle off the lists of thank yous and man, I'm thankful for a lot. I'm thankful for my wife. I'm thankful for my two kids. I'm thankful for my granddaughter on the way. I'm thankful for my church family. I'm thankful for my best friends. I'm thankful for the life God's given me. That's great. But to live a life that says thank you. Are you willing? to make sure it's part of your conscience, of your consciousness? Are you willing to be sure that it's part of your calendar? Are you willing to make sure that you're using your resources and your gifts for God's kingdom? Are you willing to use your influence, your connections to honor Christ? Because I believe that's the way we say thank you. And that's how I want to live this Thanksgiving season. Father, thank you for my friends. and I pray.